So, Haley, people can find us on Spotify and iTunes and Google Podcasts and all sorts of fun things. And wherever you find us, we would love for you to uh, subscribe, uh, review, if you'd be so kind. Tell your friends. Lots of great stuff um, upcoming. And we would love for you to follow us along on social media. Yeah, um, at PopPsych101 on both Instagram and Twitter. Yes, that's where we most frequently post uh, stuff yes. when able to. <laughs> <laughs> Two busy professionals. So, Haley, um, what uh, do we have coming up next for our listeners? We have some exciting possible topics and uh, reference points in pop culture. Um, absolutely. So for our next recording, if you want to follow along, um, we're going to be watching Marriage Story. Um, and then we have some... Maybe some old school stuff after that. We'll let you know at our next episode. Yes, Marriage Story you can find on Netflix, uh, a great mm -hmm. movie. So no no TV series as we've been doing recently. Just a nice little easy, um, you know, nice little, little drama, uh, family drama movie. that we'll jump into. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So, Haley, let's, let's do our reviews. I know typically... Um, when we go through a movie, we like to do our mental health review and then our entertainment review. So, um, would you mind doing our mental health review of Memento? So, you know, let's say on a scale of one to five Polaroids, um, <laughs> how would you rate Memento on how accurately it portrayed, um, let's just say interrograde amnesia? Absolutely. So I think it is, um, three fully developed uh, Polaroids and one half developed Polaroid. <laughs> um, I love that. A nice little so, five, yeah. So like a three and a half um, because I think it does a great job explaining um, and verbally um, explaining interrograde amnesia. And then also, you know, like we talk about like how it's kind of illustrated by the way the movie is set up. Um, that does a great job of kind of really bringing us into like how memory works or doesn't work. Um, I think where it falls short is um, that there's, you know, just kind of some plot holes because it is a movie. Like, how can he remember certain things um, that maybe he shouldn't be able to? Um, and then also I have some questions about like grief and how time and memory play a role in that. And I don't know if that was discussed nearly enough um but yeah mm. so i get three and a half yeah so and, and just to tack on to that i mean the the mental health thing used as a trope or plot device mm -hmm. i think we always struggle with um mm -hmm. which i'm sure we talked about a lot in today's episode um and for me let's say out of uh five tattooed facts um, yeah. i have to give this movie a five um it's one of my favorite movies of all time i love christopher nolan i love playing with time and plot and uh -huh. order and i love like mind bending movies yeah. and this is hit all of yeah. those so normally i love movies like this um so i was really excited to watch it i was so disappointed <laughs> um oh no I, I know my first watch through i give it like a Two and a half, three. My second okay. watch through, I'll give it a three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of Christopher Nolan's earliest movies, and he's he's got a new one um, now coming out that also plays with time and all sorts of fun Ooh. stuff. So maybe he did better the second time around. 
Very cool. Did he do Inception? He did Inception, and yes, he yeah, did yeah. Uh, one that came out this year, although it's been weird with the releases, uh, Tenet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. I've not heard good things about Tenet, which is actually really funny because when I was talking to friends, I said to them, like, is this Tenet? Like, is this, this is what I've heard about it. <laughs> so, because um, Tenet also has like a backwards forwards time thing, right? Yes. I, I don't know exactly what makes it possible, but essentially a detective is like investigating crimes and either has a superpower, like he's able to rewatch things happen in slow motion in reverse time, or there's like some kind of something. I don't know what makes it possible, but yes, there's someone investing a crime with the power of slow motion reverse time. <laughs> yeah. Your description is just as clear as every other description that I've had about it, yeah. which is also yeah, well, kind go. of how I felt about this movie. <laughs> okay. That's totally that's fair. Um, so yeah, well, you know what, with that, let's jump into our discussion of Memento, yeah. right? I, what, what, yeah, a, what a better time to do it. So I have to be honest with you, Haley, there's a, a semi-secret reason why I wanted to cover this. Um, not you just have enterograde amnesia. Well, um, no, I cannot claim that specific diagnosis. Um, but I, so I have had listeners uh, request this movie because it is mm -hmm. a psychological thriller. Um, mm -hmm. But I, while I have, I do not have anterograde amnesia. <laughs> I have had a weird memory experience. Really? Um, Me too. Yes. Okay, great. So maybe we'll start here and then we'll jump into the movie because I think, uh, well, not, whatever. Well, we'll, we'll, go through, um, <laughs> it, well, hopefully we'll get to the movie. But um, <laughs> so for me, uh, in, in between the ages of like eight and uh, 16, I had a couple concussions. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the last concussion that I had, I was a summer camp counselor. And I was trying to do bicycle kicks on the soccer field. Of and course. I did one that was awesome. And everybody was so impressed. And then I was like, and then they were like, do it again, do it again. So I was like, of course, that was easy. I'll just do the exact same thing. What I did, I'll do it again. Um, and I over-rotated a bit. And the first thing that hit the ground was the back of my head. Um, and from that point, for the rest of the day, I, I mean, I don't want to say that I, couldn't make short-term memories but i kept forgetting what i was doing and not mm -hmm. knowing what i was supposed to be doing where i was um so like similar to leonard i all of a sudden would be like what was i doing okay i'm standing in the the office i must be getting a copy for someone but who asked oh, me to get something and yeah. like that just kept happening all day mm -hmm. yeah um, and the scariest one by far moments? Oh, vividly, because it was it was so bizarre. Strange, um, yeah. And the the scariest one by far was walking home from the summer camp that I worked at, mm -hmm. and for some reason, probably because I was having some memory issues, like walked a different way home, and then all of a sudden, I was by myself, which, as we're going to talk about, is, is a terrible thing for someone with this condition. Yeah. Um, I just remember all of a sudden sort of like stopping in the, not the middle of the street, but like on the sidewalk, but like on a street that I didn't usually walk. And all uh -huh. of a sudden just having this very clear sensation of what am I doing here? 
where am I going? How did I get here? Um, yeah. And, you know, and knowing that I was like in the town that my parents' house was in, I knew how to get totally. home. Um, yeah. But I didn't know why so, like, I was where I, I was here? or how I had yeah. gotten there. Right. Yeah. It was just completely blank. And that that experience, I mean, you know, I tell that story to people and they're just kind of like, haha, yeah, okay, sure. And it's the kind of experience that you yep. can't really impart what it's like to experience this. Absolutely. So when this movie came out, I was like, this, this is kind of what happened to me. Yeah. Um, so this, this is a very personal relationship that I had to this movie. So that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I so you have a memory had, thing too? Yeah. I got a concussion my first year of grad school. Um, okay. So I was um, snowboarding with a friend and um, two of her friends and they were going really quickly and I was keeping up with them, but she was behind us. And so I turned to look to see that she had seen that we had made a turn. Um, and when I turned to look back, my back edge of my board caught and I fell straight back and hit the back of my head. Mm. Now, yep. thank goodness I was wearing a brand new helmet. Um, it was like the first day that I had ever worn it. And like, thank goodness. Um, but from that point until like six, seven hours later, I only have mm -hmm. like two or three vague memories. Um, okay. But essentially immediately I started, I had forgotten things that had happened like the hour before that. Um, and also yep. just like the whole kind of rest of the day only comes and goes in bits and pieces. Um, and sure. then for the next like month, um, uh, like solidifying memories was much harder. So what I say to people is um, yeah. I've been really lucky in my academic career where I basically just like, study something and then it's in my brain. Um, there was never like a huge amount of effort that was required to get it in. Um, but now I'm in grad school, we're coming up on midterms. I've just had a concussion and luckily I'm in a psychology program. So like the majority of my teachers were like, you've got a brain injury. Like we'll deal with these midterms later. Um, Good. Super supportive. Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, but one of my teachers was not because he wanted me to go through disability services, but if I was going to do that, it was going to take so long that I would have already have had to have taken the midterm. So I was like, I'm not bothering. Um, so I ended up taking his midterm, but when I was studying, no matter what I did, it like would not go into my brain. Um, and I was like this, I've never realized how much I've just relied on my memory. Like, and it's yeah. become, I've become so aware of it now since then of, um, you know, this is a funny story. One time in, in, um, college, a guy like jokingly said his home address. And I was like, no, do not say that. I will remember it forever. Um, and he's like, no, you won't. And to this day, I remember what his home address was. Um, wow. So it's like, um, P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's just like kind of how wild my memory was. So that made me think as I was watching this movie, like, I don't know that I have the skills to deal with not having memory because I've never had to build them up. I've always just, yeah. I've always just known that I would remember something, whereas um, Leonard has really gotten good at getting tattoos, making notes, 
um, taking photos, labeling things, putting instructions mm-hmm. in multiple different places, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so this is a theme of the movie is conditioning, right? Is once mm-hmm. you kind of know what circumstances you're in, your ability to, uh, you know, have an organization system, have a, a pattern of behaviors that are sticky to kind of get you to, you know, accomplish your goals, to function, mm-hmm. to take care of yourself. Um, and we sort of watch Leonard go through this in very successfully uh, or or not um to varying degrees of success um mm-hmm. ways so it's yeah it's it's really interesting and, and and in many ways this movie for me is like a horror movie it's like terrifying yeah. the idea of like that day for me being every day um because that's yeah. how leonard wakes up that's how leonard i mean and they describe it um in in you know movie summaries as like every 15 minutes which is not always clear in the movie how uh quickly he loses track sometimes it seems triggered by a loud noise or and sometimes it's really um yeah yeah sometimes it's really quick and and sometimes it it maybe is taking hours so that that aspect is also um fascinating because there is no real predictability to it it feels like in many ways Totally. And also he, um, at one point says like, um, you know, I don't know how long she's been gone. I don't know how long this conversation has been happening. And his line is ultimately, how am I supposed to heal from my grief? Um, if I can't feel time and that's one of the, I remember, yeah. yeah, I remember at the end of the film, I was like, wait, how many days, like how, what is the time lapse of this? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you, so I actually watched it twice. So okay. I knew it was going to be this kind of like funky, figure it out kind of movie. And so I was like, okay, either I'm going to like be so focused on the mental health stuff that I'm not going to know what's going on, or I'm going to be so focused on figuring out what's going on that I'm going to miss all the mental health stuff. So I decided I was going to watch mm-hmm. it twice. First for entertainment, second for psychology. and the first time I had no idea what was going on. Like at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know who had died and why and who had killed who because and what was real and what wasn't real and all of that kind of stuff. And then the second time I enjoyed it more, um, because I knew it was coming, right? Because I had the memory sure. of of the previous time of watching it. And so I could like fill in the gaps, right? So then that you, made you, me you think. You could anticipate what was weird about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I could also like place it with stuff that I knew had happened before mm-hmm. chronologically, but after in the movie. <laughs> um, yep. And then – I mean, that leads us into this discussion of how beautifully this film is put together um, in a way that leaves us feeling the way that he feels, right? We don't know the information from before, and all we can do is put it together with clues, little piece by piece. As we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and for some people, that's uh, almost like upsetting, like discomforting. And that's, I think, what we're trying to... I'm sure what Christopher Nolan is trying to uh, give us the experience of. They want the viewers to know what it's like 
to be experiencing anterograde amnesia. Yeah, and he succeeded because I was not happy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so so maybe we should... um, as best we can sort of describe this condition um, to the extent that it is, um, you know, a diagnosis, obviously that's fairly rare as we can imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is uh, something that is real about it. And we we want to maybe clearly define that for our listeners. So anterograde amnesia is the loss of the ability to create new memories after the event that caused the amnesia leading to a partial or complete inability to recall the recent past, uh, while long-term memories from before the event remain intact. So Mm -hmm. for Leonard, this is, uh, he experiences a trauma, Mm -hmm. um, much similar to ourselves, uh, a a head trauma, Mm -hmm. um, uh, during a uh, home break-in in which his um, you know, wife is assaulted and he uh, tries to defend her and in the ensuing um, conflict, he gets knocked out. He gets mm-hmm. a head injury. Yes. And then basically following this head injury is when he can no longer uh, form new memories. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't find any stats in terms of how common this is. Um but you know, from every everything we can imagine, this is not this is not a common experience for people. So that's yeah. why you know, and and we we see this with Leonard. He kind of has to constantly explain exactly what's wrong with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, both for his own assuredness, as as also as much for you know other people's comfort. Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you remember? Like, we had this mm-hmm. conversation yesterday. Yeah. And that the frequency of those kind of conversations really hit home for me because, you know, there are other types of diagnoses um, that I'm sure you and I have worked with where, you know, either people feel kind of compelled to, uh-huh. you know, uh, share. So people are, you know, understanding of, you know, the person's presentation or just for their own uh, validation and security. Like, hey, mm-hmm. just a heads up. I have this. This is who mm-hmm. I am. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, you know, this might help explain um, what your interactions are like with me. You know, the things yeah. that jumped out to mind are like Tourette's, for example. That's what I thought too, um, yeah. Yeah, like I saw, I don't know if it was a commercial or a YouTube or a, a TikTok or something. And it was a, a young guy who was getting on an airplane. And at every stage of the process, I think his dad had to, you know, kind of communicate ahead of time. Listen, my son has Tourette's. Listen, here's what's coming. Here's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, I think the son was filming himself and, you know, he was saying bomb on an airplane. He was doing all these things that ordinarily would be very um, concerning if you did not mm-hmm. already know this person yeah. has Tourette's. And similarly to Leonard, um, he has to constantly explain it himself because he does not have someone along the li- on, along the way with him who's like, mm-hmm. hey, you remember me. I remember you. This is my friend Leonard. Here's where we are at in dealing with whatever we're dealing with. Yeah. And that just brought up a lot of sadness for me, honestly. Like, he's very much alone in this experience. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually something that um, as I was researching um, – like studies on enterograde amnesia and things like that, that came up is that um, people with enterograde amnesia tend to do better when they have other people 
because they don't trust their own experience Mm. because they don't remember it. Um, And in this movie, he says like, oh, I can only trust my handwriting. In a lot of the research, um, so a lot of the research is intensive case studies because it's not that common. Um, Sure. And in a lot of these case studies, the um, people, the subjects don't trust the notes that they've written in their handwriting because they can't remember having written them. So for instance, there was one um, guy, I believe his name was Clive Waring. He would quote unquote, wake up every 15 minutes. Um, and mm. he would write like 9.15, woke up. And then at 9.30, he would quote unquote, wake, wake up again. And he'd write 9.30, woke up. And he'd cross out the 9.15 note because he'd be like, that's weird. Yeah. I wasn't awake then. I just one. woke up yeah. now. And even though it was in his handwriting, he was the one writing it every time. He never believed that it was his. Um and also, so like a much something... more disturbing version. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say a much more disturbing version of like seeing your diary from when you were sixteen <laughs> yeah. and being like, "Oh my god, is that how I thought about the world?" Um, yeah. But it's happening every fifteen minutes. Yeah. Then also because you're like, yeah, I kind of remember that. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. Oh, so disturbing. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's like. Um, knowing that you parked your car somewhere and then it's not there anymore. Mm. And you're like, wait a minute, like what? This is insane. And then, you know, your partner's like, oh yeah, I went to the store and I parked it down the street. Um, And then you're like, okay, I thought I was going insane. Um, But having that for every decision and then add on top of that, that the majority of people with interrograde amnesia to this extreme don't necessarily know that they have it. Right. Because they haven't been able to form the memory of this is my condition. This is my experience. And that was something that I was curious about with him was I was like, his tattoos are not explicit enough. Like, how does he know that this is happening to him? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the 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 question that you asked of um, why does he check his pockets for mm-hmm. for the pictures and and. I think that that's a great question, similar to the, like, how does he know he has this condition? And to me, it feels like some of the stuff is conditioning that could be previous to the injury. Like, I check my pockets all the time, you know, whether I, whether it's, you know, I'm about to leave the house and I, you know, wallet, keys, cell phone, mask Mm -hmm. now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I think some of that, some of that can carry over. So even if it's like I'm not yeah. specifically looking for Polaroids to remember things, it's just like, oh, what's in my pocket? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of mm-hmm. takes you back through the yeah. rabbit hole. But yeah, it's it's it was interesting because the, they sort of deliberately contrasted him with, um, you know, Mr. Jenkins, yeah, um, Sammy. Sammy Jenkins, and they never see Sammy say he has amnesia yeah i don't think that he knows that he has it well right and i guess and that's that's the distinction right and are are we being led to believe that leonard just has a little bit better condition or experience with this condition that he's able to have that awareness even though he's also losing memories yeah so So and of course there's variation with these diagnoses yeah yeah and that's another thing that left me confused was that 
most people with anterograde amnesia can do the whole conditioning thing. Sammy couldn't, which was what led um, Leonard to rule that it wasn't a hippocampus thing, but it was instead a psychological right, thing. to deny that it was, yeah, deny that it yeah. was physical. Yeah. Um, and that was super confusing. I mean, it was all confusing for me, but that was super confusing <laughs> for me. Um, but I think if that is, and I didn't look into it too much, but if that is a difference, right? Like non-physical damage anterograde amnesia versus physical damage anterograde amnesia, if those experience differently or show up differently, I would be actually curious to look into that because that would explain those differences, right? With um, yeah. with a lot of the research, um, brain injuries like you and I had and like Leonard has, and then also um, viral-based um, anterograde amnesia. Mm, so basically sure. like I saw someone got a cold sore and it like the, that herpes simplex virus got into their brain and Oh God, that terrified me. Um, Mm -hmm. but that causes like physical change to the brain. Um, and I wonder if those are different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if that versus whatever was going on with Sammy Jenkins was, was different. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think, and and it's good for us to see variations in diagnoses, yeah. so we're not just sort of locked into, you know, certain stereotypes or certain expectations of things like this. So mm-hmm. it is good that we get a little bit of that variation, but then mm-hmm. we are set up to this sort of be confused. It's like, well, okay, how much of what we're seeing is real, right? And I think there's a lot of questioning of, um, of all these different things because you brought up the handwriting before, and I think yes. that was a weirdly suspicious thing for me too because. At times, he's giving himself tattoos, but clearly some of those were yeah. like he got them from someone else uh-huh. um, because they're in different handwriting and they're in different styles. And some of them are written backwards so he can read them on the mirror and some of them yeah. are written normally. So, um, so yeah, so there's obviously some unique aspects to Leonard's version of mm-hmm. uh, this amnesia that are yeah. unique to him probably. And I think it's also kind of purposeful that we like don't, get answers to some of these things. Um, oh, you know, the, the movie starts in the middle of the story. Well, no, <laughs> the, it ends in the middle of the story. <laughs> um, yes. Where like clearly stuff has happened before that we are not aware of. Um, because the chronological beginning of this movie, he's already got all the tattoos. He's already, um, kind of going about his day to day in the hotel and with um, these relationships and the cop and all of that, um, Teddy. So I think there's that, you know, kind of playing into that, like sometimes there's going to be gaps in information. Yeah. And I think, you know, and a lot of this movie was sort of triggering, um, you know, really questions about, working with people i i haven't worked with anyone with um certainly not this degree of amnesia Mm -hmm. but even like serious dementia and things like that um i don't have a lot of experience with but i know that uh it can be really challenging when i when i've worked i've worked with people who have you know worked with seniors or worked with other folks who have uh traumatic brain injury and things like that and and it's it's really challenging right because we Mm -hmm. obviously as clinicians want to help people um, 
you know, much the way Leonard does sort of build systems for coping and mm-hmm. um, find ways to understand what they're experiencing. But mm-hmm. like Leonard, there's maybe only so much of that understanding that you can hold on to day to day. So that is then just yeah. the work kind of become, um, you know, management. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we see Sammy and his wife refers to him. She says, you know, I don't see a vegetable. Um, mm-hmm. I see the same old Sammy. And I think we all want to see that, um, yeah. you know, whether it's in a person that we know that has the memory issues or, um, you know, if it's like you or I, like someone who, who might be working with someone who's mm-hmm. experiencing these issues, like we want, we want them to be able to have the fully functioning memory and, and work mm-hmm. with them as if we, we would work with anyone, but that's just yeah. not the case. Mm-hmm. And as you and, say yeah. that, it actually makes me think like, um, you know, wanting, you know, like something that is no longer there, that grief process happens differently for Sammy's wife versus Leonard, where Leonard, yes, let's say his wife is definitely gone. I don't know for a fact that that's the case, but let's say that well, his right, wife so spoiler died. alert. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Um, um, well, because right, I, I, we're sort of led to believe by by Teddy that Sammy didn't actually have a wife, that that wife story was actually Leonard's wife. Maybe, or like parts of it were true, (laughs) but parts of it were not true. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I know. It's okay. Well, we don't, we don't have to figure out the crazy plot twist, but suffice it to say, we don't really know what is real for these people, right? And also how that affects the grief to go back to like what you were talking about with like wanting like what you can't have again. Right. Like her grief is Mm -hmm. wanting the psychological person back when the physical person is still there Um, and how she struggles with, well, I don't think she grieves it at all. Um, And then, um, and then or I don't think she goes through the grief process at all before she passes, supposedly. Um, and then right. on the other side, like Leonard is sort of grieving, but not really because he's actually more focused on like this mission rather than his sadness about his wife. But it's like he says that I mentioned before, like if I don't know that time is passing, how am I supposed to get through this? Like how am I supposed to grieve um yeah and that those two separate grief processes are what you were talking about like you know wanting it to be like it was before yeah i'm I'm glad you came back to that quote because there's another quote that leonard says later on that kind of hit on this theme for me um uh, that really does come up in, in work that I do with people. So Leonard says, as long as I have doubt, I can't say goodbye and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says that at one time and then another time with Teddy, um, they're sort of talking about what, what Leonard knows for sure, right? That Leonard mm-hmm. can definitively uh-huh. say he knows what sound is going to happen when he hits the desk, right? Yeah. He knows the feeling of his clothes, these sorts of things. Yeah. And I think this sort of dichotomy between doubt especially for someone with memory issues and what we know for sure right mm-hmm. whether that's things that happened before a traumatic event um mm-hmm. or just sort of things that we know somewhat instinctually 
mm-hmm. um, is a really, and this is not just isolated to people with memory issues, but people with anxiety and panic yeah. and, and mm-hmm. um, trauma, right? Where, yeah, absolutely. Where that difference between um, doubt or shame, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and sort of not being able to kind of let go of something. Mm-hmm. And then what you know for sure, right? What you yeah. know for sure about your relationship with that person or how you feel or mm-hmm. the facts of what happened, right? Which Leonard kind of plays with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these two quotes um, are very closely related, but also very take me in very separate directions. And the mm-hmm. the second one, the like, what do you know for sure? Like you're kind of hinting at, that makes me think of like grounding during um, like an anxiety yes. attack, yes. right? I know for sure that the, here's five things I can see, four things I can hear, three things I can touch, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, yep, I love that skill. You know, yep. Things that are very like concrete, like I know for sure that these things are happening, you know, get out of your head and into your world, into your physical being. Um, yep. The other one that you said, um, can you say it again? The one about having doubts and not being able to move on? Yes. So uh, yeah, Leonard says, as long as I have doubt, I can't say goodbye and move on. Okay. So this idea comes up a lot in my work with people because there's this like, concept that we believe exists called closure. And I'm like, yep. I'm sorry, but closure does not exist because yeah, it's a it's we, a concept that we want to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Because we kind of think like, oh, this person will say something or do something and then I'll just feel fine. But we can't be inside other people's heads and we know that. So even if someone tells us what we want to hear or answers the questions we had about like our relationship or our history or what happened. If we doubt them any, like if we doubt them, them giving us that information, them filling in those gaps is not going to take that doubt away. We're just going to now doubt that information that they've given us. Um, not always the case, right? Sometimes there sure. are very like yeah. grown up, meaningful conversations that allow for some level of like, um, mutual acceptance that allows people to move on. Um, but it sounds to me as though in that quote, he's saying like, until I have, um, all the facts, I can't have closure. And I'm like, I closure doesn't exist. And all of the facts in the world are never going to be all of the facts, especially in his case. Yeah. So that, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So that, yeah, that really brings us to the supposed ending of this movie, right? where, you know, he's in this abandoned house with Teddy and Teddy tells him, and we don't know if this is real or not, but Teddy, Mm -hmm. this is what Teddy tells him that Leonard, uh, did have all the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, he and Teddy did actually find, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the killer or killers or the assaulter or assaulters. Um, (laughs) and that Leonard actually did kill the guy that they found. Um, but that, Mm -hmm. that, knowledge only lasted so long so that then Leonard to sort of compensate removed some of the pages from the police file to reinsert doubt into his story so that then he could kind of start over with this mission. And that again was so sad (laughs) because we, we have this sense of he could have had closure, but he essentially forgot it. 
Um, and then, you know, to, to maintain some sense of normalcy, he kept himself in this role of, of Avenger, right. Of detective. And that that role was one that he could kind of comfortably fit, even if he wasn't still chasing the right guy. Yeah. It makes me think, wow. It's yeah. Yeah. So there's that one scene where he's like imagining what life would be like with his wife, where the tattoo over his heart says, I've done it. Um, yes. And that scene to me was like kind of confusing because I was like, is this made up? Did this really happen? Does that happen in the future? Did it happen in the past? Then I was like, well, it's a tattoo. So I don't think because he doesn't still have it. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> but, you know, it makes you wonder like if he, even if he had that tattoo, when he looked in the mirror, would he believe it? Right? Like, would right. he believe that that were the case? Or like Teddy said, like, is he picking and choosing what he believes and what he doesn't believe? And and that's proof with like the things he chooses to write down and the things he doesn't write down. But then also on top of that, there's things that he doesn't remember to write down. Um, like how Natalie is totally manipulating his memory um because he yeah that was a tough scene to watch too yeah Yeah. well and then you wonder at what point she decided she was gonna start doing that and yeah it was so wild so crazy (laughs) i actually right because i think that and and what i was just gonna say that that scene was the one that sort of was the least believable to me you know, in, in recognizing that, you know, okay, let's say it happens every 15 minutes to sort of reset or wake up, uh-huh. um, you know, because in that scene where, you know, they, they have a physical altercation, she leaves with a bloody nose, gets in her car, uh, and he is just literally scrambling for a pen mm-hmm. to write down, you know, uh, yeah. the fact that he can't trust her, right? The fact mm-hmm. that um, you know, this, this incident has just happened and she's mm-hmm. manipulating him. Um, and then she slams her car door and walks back in as if, you know, this happened from someone else mm-hmm. and the me- the memory of the awareness is gone like that, that, mm-hmm. I mean, and look, I mean, uh, who are we to say whether or not that's a realistic portrayal, I guess. Right. But that was kind of the, kind of the hardest to understand that it was like, Cause that was the only one that felt like it was happening live. Like there was yeah. no, he fell asleep or this or that happened. You know what I mean? So for me, the, that one was more believable and I'll speak to why, but was more believable okay. than the bar scene where she spits in the beer and then he goes sure. and sits at the table and then she brings him that beer. Um, yeah. That one, I was like, all right, this all feels like the same, like working memory space. Um, yep. And speaking of working memory, he, when he's looking for the pen, he goes, okay, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, keep it in mind, keep it in mind, which I thought, I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know how intentional Christopher Nolan gets with this, but that was, as a psychologist, I thought that that was a fantastically done scene because it portrayed how we can manipulate the length of working memory. So if you um, just say a number the likelihood of you remembering it very low. If you say the number again and again and again and again and again until you find a pen, 
you'll likely remember it long enough to write it down when you find a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going like four seven two five four seven two five four seven two five, and then your daughter walks in and is like, "Dad, can I have a snack?" And you're like, "Sure, go grab some goldfish." And then you go, "Shoot, what was the number?" What was that again? Number? Yeah, right. Yep. And then you mm-hmm. have to like yep. go. Unless your memory skills are great and you can like keep it Mm -hmm. in there while you take in new information. Um, I will now remember that 4725 was the number way past. (laughs) It's important. Um, But um, that's the same kind of thing, right? Like he was saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And then she slammed the door, like asking for a snack. And so he like looked up and was like, oh, new information. And the working memory went away. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, that's tough because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because this this other sort of question was coming to mind for me of, you know, and I don't think this is also not just respective for for uh, people with memory issues, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of our capacity to convince ourselves of anything, yeah. um, you know, various mental health struggles often revolve around these stuck thoughts, right? That's like a very common, um, you know, therapist question. It's like, oh, where are we getting stuck, right? What's the stuck thought? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, whether those stuck thoughts are uh, irrational um, or impulsive um, or in in Leonard's case, like discovered, right? Even though he Mm -hmm. wrote them down, you know, was it because he was manipulated into it? Was it because someone else wrote it? Or was it because he decided it was the realist thing that made sense to him in that moment that he could then accept it later on? And mm-hmm. it's like that, that's really interesting because that I think is also representative of what happens, you know, for people in trauma. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, on a previous episode, we talked about EMDR and sort of separating yeah. um sort of like thoughts that we form about ourselves or our environments with a traumatic event. Yeah. Physical memory and, versus and that, declarative memory. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, it, and it brought to mind, you know, watching this movie, this sort of question of, you know, wow, can, can we really convince ourselves of anything? And I think in many cases we kind of can, yeah. which is yeah. both Absolutely. emblematic of like the power of our brain. And, yeah. and I guess it's also sort of like a scary um, uh, I don't want to say weakness, but just like thing that can get us into trouble. Yeah. Well, the thing that kind of like pops into my mind as you say that is um, like um, and trigger warning with people who struggle with body image issues, um, like eating disorders that totally, yeah. they can look at themselves and be, you know, 70 pounds skin and bone and still believe that they are fat. Right. Um, and you know, our minds can convince us of anything. And that actually leads me, I was going to ask you a question a few minutes ago, but this like leads perfectly into it. How much do you think that like accurate memory really matters in therapy? Hmm. Or like, um, what role I, do you think? Probably not that much. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, I oh, yeah. can okay. so agree. That's, yeah, yeah, because it's it's the interpretation. I think that was even in a, even a quote that Leonard says at one point. He says um, something to the effect of memory is unreliable. It's just an interpretation of the facts or interpretation of the uh-huh. past. Yeah, and I think it's for our for work that we do in therapy. Like it's that interpretation that we're mm-hmm. working on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's the story that you're telling about what has happened to you or what you have done or not done that yeah. is valuable, right? That we work yeah. with. It's not mm-hmm. what actually happened because that doesn't necessarily matter as much. Absolutely. And I think with my approach to therapy, a thought is just a thought, no matter how correct it is in the physical world or not. It's yep. They're all mm-hmm. just thoughts um, and they have no greater substance. What matters is what you do with those thoughts, right? Yep. So what yep. matters is what you do with those memories. So if if your memory of getting hurt in a relationship keeps you from engaging in any further relationship, now suddenly that memory matters because you're it's the basis of the choice that you're making that's keeping you from engaging, right? Um, yep, absolutely. Does it matter if you really got hurt or not? No, because to you, you did. And to you, it was important and meaningful enough to change the way that you engaged with, with your world. Um, I think my caveat to this is that that's in um, kind of like self-discovery talk therapy kind of therapy. I think in like skills-based rehabilitative therapy um, and maybe even in places like psychosis and things like that, that idea of what do you know for sure um, is really important Um, and kind of figuring out like what is true and what is real. But even then, like, I kind of, and don't take my word at this, I'm just kind of working through it now. (laughs) Um, Like, I kind of feel like if somebody believes that there is like a teddy bear standing in the room with us where there's no teddy bear, like, is it affecting their life? Like, does it, you know, are they able to form relationships, go to work, um, take care of themselves, make money, et cetera, et cetera? Like, if the answer to all of those is yes, then I'm like, cool, hang on to the teddy bear. Who cares if it's real or not? Right. Right. Because right. Right, there's value in, in validating the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our characters kind of run into this as well, right? Um, some people manipulate Leonard when they learn yeah. about his um, uh, his uh, amnesia. Um, yeah. the, the funniest of which the, his, his, his condition is the uh, motel renting him multiple rooms, which yeah. I have to say he takes surprisingly well um, when he learns of that, yeah. when uh, the the guy running the motel is like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's been a rough month. So we, mm-hmm. you know, just my boss said, just kind of rent you another room. And he's just like, oh, well, at least you're honest about ripping me off. I was just like, wow, yeah. this guy is really, and maybe it's a result <laughs> of his condition that it's just like, well, I, I accept weird things that happen to me every 15 minutes. How different is this? Mm-hmm. Well, and then what's also funny is then the guy is like, you know, he's like, of course, I'm being honest, you're just going to forget about it in like five minutes anyway. Right. <laughs> in the very first scene, I think it's the first one of the first scenes, he is talking to um, the guy at the front desk and the guy goes, as long as you remember to pay the bill. And then he goes, Oh, yeah, how much is it? And he's like 40 bucks. And I went like, wait, like, is this guy scamming him? And that was my sure. very, like, I hadn't even started watching the movie yet. And I was like, I think this guy is scamming him. I think he's already paid. Um, So then I was thinking, it's funny that um, 
it led me to think like with me, me having a really good memory, I, if, if someone told me like, you haven't paid, I would be like, um, oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I would remember if I had. Right. But for him, right. I wonder if he ever questions or if he just takes people at their word because he knows he can't remember. Right. Because he trusts himself to figure out whether someone is lying if he's talking to them face to face, which is, again, like a really good quality if you're confident in your ability to do that. Uh Um, But. But also, he, maybe he's not yeah. that good at it because yeah, he, he doesn't always it doesn't always pass the test, right? Yeah, like yes, Sammy right. tricks him. Like he's yes. like, I know now that like you and put Natalie, on yeah. a fake, like, oh, I recognize you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So interesting. I will say. Yeah. So someone, the other the oh god yeah no no go ahead go ahead mine was a total misdirect. Oh no. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I was also going to misdirect, so you go you go first. <laughs> I was going to say, as someone who, so I, I've worked um, with people with chronic medical conditions. Um, sure. Too much insulin, I was like. Oh my gosh, yeah. I was, I couldn't handle it. I was like, no, 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 stop, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. terrifying way to die, slash, And it's yeah. so dangerous. It's so, 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 so dangerous. And also, mm-hmm. two of the places where they give her insulin totally correct but the very first time they're like mainlining the insulin and that is not yeah I, I, that, that occurred to me as well yeah <laughs> i was like this. Yeah. i was like what are they doing um <laughs> so that's not how you give insulin but just um and also good good reinforcement <laughs> yeah <laughs> so funny so the the sidetrack that i had was I'm kind of desperate for this movie to be remade in the era of smartphones and and things like that because oh. I mean it, it would be I don't I don't know how they would do it. I don't know what would be different, but I'm sure that it would be different mm-hmm. with the sort of different technology that people had uh, would have access to if Leonard had access yeah. to a smartphone, would he trust himself leaving digital notes or self voicemails? You know, yeah. maybe he wouldn't need tattoos. Um you know, he certainly wouldn't need Polaroids, right? Or would he trust the hard copy more? It's just sort of fascinating for me to think about, like, what a person suffering with anterograde amnesia yeah. does with today's resources. I don't know. I don't know the answer so to that question, but I'm sure yeah. I'm sure there are different options for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully, so whether it's, yeah, whether it's a person, right, as we are identifying, like, clearly they need a support system. Yeah. Um, or, but certainly, you know, technology is, is going to make a difference in, in oh, one absolutely. fashion or another. Absolutely. Because um, it also reminded me of um, uh, Fifty First Dates. Uh-huh. Um, which is, like, such a cheesy ending, but, you know, Drew Barrymore's character wakes up and sees plays the vhs and it's like Uh oh this is who you are and this you have a memory problem and and we're married and we have kids and she's like oh okay and they just accept it um and it probably wouldn't be like that but maybe there would be something that you could trust if you made it yourself it's a Mm -hmm. yeah so it's just fascinating to think about because these are even if they're rare um you know traumatic brain injuries is very real um Mm -hmm. as you and i on our sort of smaller degrees (laughs) shared about um and for people with these issues, whether it's, you know, multiple concussions or yeah. um, uh, veterans who have a lot of issues um, with traumatic brain injury, like this is, um, even if it's not specifically like Leonard, this is a problem that people have to deal with. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, my thought about 50 first dates is how wild would it be waking up like seven and a half months pregnant and be like, I'm sorry, oh, what? <laughs> that was always Where my concern. This come from? Yeah. Like she's oh, going to sure. notice that before she notices the watch this VHS. <laughs> um, probably. <laughs> yeah. And also I think, um, as I was kind of going through all the studies on memory loss and things like that, people talk a lot about like, Oh, you know, snowboarding accident, soccer accident, you know, trauma, um, war zone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I mean like a physical trauma, um, leading to this kind of memory loss, but also um, emotional trauma leads to memory loss as well. And also, um, prolonged stress. And sometimes at the kind of near the end of my, um, my program, I kind of wished that I had done my doctoral paper, my dissertation on memory because, my memory during the time during grad school, like I struggled with it and I was never sure if it was because of my concussion, which I got in the first year, or if it was due to the stress of grad school, because all of my friends were like, yeah, my memory sucks now too. Um, oh, interesting. And I, anybody out there who's a psych student, like take this idea and run with it. Just send me your paper when you're done, because I would be <laughs> so intrigued to see, you know, the effects of something like grad school or prolonged stress like that, um, has on memory. Yeah. So a very relevant topic for, for, uh, almost anyone, um, yeah. unless you're one of those people with, you know, that perfect photographic memory, uh, for life, which that seems like a really cool superpower in real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, Fascinating discussion. We uh, should probably do our reviews. Absolutely. Um, all right. Memento is a 2000 American neo-noir psychological thriller film written and directed by Christopher Nolan and produced by Suzanne and Jennifer Todd. The film script was based on a pitch by Jonathan Nolan, who wrote the 2001 story Memento Mori from the concept. Guy Pierce stars as a man who, as a result of injury, has enterograde amnesia and has short-term memory loss approximately every 15 minutes. He is searching for the people who attacked him and killed his wife using an intricate system of Polaroid photographs and tattoos to track information he cannot remember. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Haley, thanks for joining me again today. Yes, I'm glad Hello. to be here as always. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Haley, we have uh, a fascinating topic to talk about today. We're co we're covering the movie Memento. So um, but before we do that, you know, um, and obviously it's going to get into some memory uh, conversation. But yeah. um, since we're going to be talking about memories, I wanted to steal a little bit um, from one of my favorite podcasts, which is Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out. Definitely I check out it. that show if you have time. Yeah. Um, and he does a little bit called uh, the slow round. And one of the questions that comes up um, that I'm going to lovingly borrow um, is, you know, he'll ask his guests and he'll talk about his guests about a childhood memory that is uh, sort of anchored in either a smell um, or uh, a taste or something specific to the sort of sensory um, experience. So Haley, I'll, I'll ask you first, any childhood yeah. memories that are, uh, you know, anchored in a specific sense. 
Yeah. Um, I can't really think of a smell. I do remember that my um, best friend growing up, her house had a very specific smell. Um, okay. And whenever I like get a whiff of that nowadays, like passing a restaurant or something like that, it makes me think of her. Um, but I think for me, like the most salient one is um, a sound-based one. And um, growing up every Sunday, obviously not every Sunday morning, but a lot of Sunday mornings, my dad would um, watch Formula One racing. Um, and so Ooh. the sound of Formula One racing, like at kind of a distance. Um, so like I would be in bed upstairs sleeping and waking up and he'd be downstairs watching Formula One. So that sound just like brings me back to like... Could you give us a little uh, imitation of what that sound was from memory? <laughs> I'm great um but yeah that like um that sound kind of at a distance makes me think of like my bedroom and like just like kind of waking up comfortably on a Sunday and the sun streaming through my window um and like knowing that my parents are downstairs and um just a very like warm cuddly feeling that's a great one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and there's something that's that's probably like a really nice sound to wake up to was it wake up oh, or not an echo to sleep sound right yeah no that's a wake up sound yeah yeah it's a um, morning yeah that's that's kind of nice i kind of like that and it's a sunday morning right so it's like sure no rush yeah. to get out of bed and um, right it's just it's just yeah. you know it's the morning time but there's you can also take your time yeah hmm. um how about you any sense-based memories yeah, it's it's uh, a weird one if you don't know this smell, um, but it's similar to you. It's like an association memory. It's like this anchor memory then branches out to all these other things. Uh-huh. So, Haley, do you know the smell of a freshly opened can of tennis balls? Oh, my gosh, yes. And that makes me think of the sound of the pop, too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I can't even describe this smell if you have not smelled it. But I have to encourage you, if you ever get the chance, to crack open a fresh can of tennis balls to yeah. do it. Because it is, I don't know what the smell is. It might be rubber. It might be the, yeah. the like, fibers that a tennis ball is covered in. I don't yeah. know. It might just be the, like, the air, the gas that is used to compress. <laughs> yeah. It's all of it. Um, but that smell brings me back to, um, we had, like, a community pool where I played tennis in the summers. So we would crack tennis balls, obviously, in the morning. Um, And then it would be like that. And then chlorine, like strong chlorine smell. Yeah. yeah. And and then just, you know, suntan lotion and and it's summer break. And let's have some fun and be at the community pool all day. So I will never not enjoy the smell of a freshly opened can of tennis balls. That's a good one. That actually made me think one time in college, I was, it was my freshman year in college and I was with my freshman year roommate and we walked out of our room and she goes, you know what it smells like right now? And I went, when you're on vacation with your family in a place like Florida and it's a little humid and you've just taken a shower from a long day and you're going to dinner. And she was like, yeah, that's actually wow. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and it was so wild because that was like, I meant it. Like, that's what it smelled like Super to specific. me. Super specific, yeah, yeah. But the fact that she also associated whatever 
that smell was um, with that, with experience, that kind yeah. of experience. And you know, I went to undergrad um, in San Diego, so it was already kind of like beachy tropical. So, you know, like 5.30 p.m. in a beachy kind of place. But um, that was super funny that we both had that same kind <laughs> of association with like just the smell of the air at that time. <laughs> Yeah, so so we're gonna get into all sorts of uh, memory associations yeah. today, and and uh, so thank you for sharing those memories with me, and and with that, let's get into Memento. Welcome to Pop Psych One Hundred and One, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. 